Hello, and welcome to Fatal Error, episode 27. I'm Suresh Kanlu. And I'm Chris Tazambak. And uh, last week, we kind of talked about a few different approaches to persistence on our Patreon-only episode. Uh, and we sort of touched on why we don't use core data. We kind of brushed past core data. But we want to spend a little bit more time this week talking about why it is that uh, Chris and I will basically never consider using core data for a, an app <laughs> from scratch. Is that a fair assessment, Chris? That sounds pretty accurate, yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a couple, a couple of uh, nice posts we want to go into, uh, a nice talk we're going to talk about, and uh, kind of explain our reasoning for like why, with a new app from scratch, we wouldn't consider using core data. Yeah. So one of my favorite posts on this topic is actually a comment which Mike Ash wrote on Hacker News uh, three and a half years ago at this point. And it's a comment on a thread uh, titled, should you use core data? And his he says the short and answer the short and easy answer is no, never. That's like that's like pretty harsh. That's pretty strong words. And it's pretty harsh, but I mean I think he does make some good points in this comment. I don't know. Do we want to go through just each point and talk about it? Yeah, I feel like a brief like reading series. We put the link in the show notes so you can you can follow along. We won't read all of it, but I think there's definitely some snippets in here that are really, really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So the first thing he writes, first, the API is awful. If you want decent, if you want decent model objects in memory, you either have to do a bunch of manual work or use a third party tool like MoGenerator. Even then, the result is a massive soup of mutable objects with no intelligence. So, I mean, this is, this is true. I think like it, last week we did mention MoGenerator, which is kind of a necessary tool. I think if you're using core data, like, and you want sane model objects. Core Data's API like pushes you to just have. Uh, I, I really like Mike's phrasing here: a massive soup of mutable objects, like uh, just mutability everywhere, and that uh, also leads you to various like thread safety and concurrency issues that you have to be aware of with Core Data, right? Right. And uh, those uh, like kind of lead you to the next point, uh, or to the next thing that Mike says on this same point. Uh, which is that the API encourages passing your entire context around everywhere, which basically turns a whole lot of this stuff into global variables. And that is definitely a huge problem, right? Like one of Cordata's goals is to have mutability like everywhere on all your model objects and also to provide everything with kind of with at least sort of a consistent view of what's in that context. And this ends up being hideously complicated. It puts a lot of requirements on you as the programmer who's using core data to make sure that you do everything perfectly correctly with regard to concurrency, which, I mean, you should be doing things right anyway, but it's so hard with core data because there's so much to be aware of. You have to be aware of uh, like what reads could trigger a, like a, a hit that has to go like back to the persistent store. Like it's, uh, it's just so complicated to use that API correctly. Yeah. I feel like, especially when it comes to threading, most APIs are forgiving where like, if you accidentally do something on the wrong thread, like, ah, you probably get away with it. <laughs> and it'll probably be fine. Maybe I'll have a weird bug somewhere. But core data just immediately just like something goofy happens and it just like everything just shuts down for some weird reason that you can't like quite put your finger on. And it turns out it's, oh, we touched this on the wrong thread. And I tried to read this property and it turns out that you can't do that from a different thread. Right. And the fact that like sometimes you you literally will be reading a property and it will have to go and do a disk fetch for it, which is like... I understand why it does that, like it's delaying that, but um, especially in a world where, you know, Apple doesn't want any, like we, we don't want stop the world garbage collection because it might like 
take a, a line might take way longer than we think, and it won't be very deterministic. Um, that is like how core data works. Like it'll stop the world, hit the disk, um, pause everything, and wait for that data to come back, get parsed, and then and the code can continue as as sort of expected. And, right. So that uh, sort of faulting behavior is is what it's called, right? Yeah. Um, right. That can lead to weird and unpredictable performance problems. I think that there are ways to to rein that behavior in or to kind of control what happens. Um, yeah, there are. You just have to know so much about core data to get it to basically do the right, the thing that you would want that's it to do. That's actually a good point. We've talked about how Swift sort of has progressive disclosure as a design goal, right? Um, and we right. can argue about how well it achieves that. Core data does not do well with progressive disclosure. You have to know and understand everything about it to actually use it correctly. Yeah. There's a lot to know. It's a complex framework. It's a framework. very complex framework. It's like a complicated API. Even when you do it correctly, you end up with like glorified, like global mutable stuff all over the place. And it's just not great. Yeah. So the next thing that Mike writes is that it ties your on-disk representation to your in-memory representation way too strongly. Uh, and that makes it more difficult to choose appropriate structures or make changes to either one. Um, this actually is something that I feel a little bit less strongly about. So to me, this is like, this is exactly what ORMs do. And this is the problem with ORMs is they make a very, very strong coupling between how the table looks and how the object looks and how the relations between the tables look and how the relations between objects look. And so like, to me, like realm has this exact same problem. This is just when you make your bed with an ORM, like this is just, this you is know, just what you got to work with. Yeah, this is just part I of mean, it. I mean, how is this different from, um, like with the app database, let's say I'm using NS coding to write things into the database. I guess then you have your coder, which decouples your like, quote unquote, on disk representation from your actual in-memory model. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So if you want your coder, let's say you're originally, um, you were, you were but a young programmer and you didn't know any better and you stored your date as a string, Right. And you're, that's how your coder works. Um, and that's how your in-memory objects work as well. Later, you get smart and you realize, oh, I could store this as a date in memory. Um, all you have to do is basically change that translation layer between the, um, the on-disk stuff and the in-memory stuff and just say, okay, well, while you're pulling this out, also go ahead and transform this for a date to a date for me. And you get to decide what that bridge looks like because you get to just write that code. Okay. Yeah. So I think like, you know, you have database and, uh, and NS coding, which we talked about in the last episode, really uh, yeah. do solve this problem yeah. in a real way. Yeah. I guess I don't have too much more to say about this, right? Like if you're going with an ORM that handles a bunch of this stuff magically for you, this one does kind of come with the territory. Yeah. You just, if you get that, the ability to not have to write that boilerplate, then you just lose that flexibility as well. And, you know, tough cookies. Uh, Mike's third point in this post, it locks you into the technology fiercely. Uh, core data is very different from everything else. And once you build your model layer on it, you're pretty much stuck there forever. Moving away from it is, uh, pretty much impossible. If you do it, it's a ton of work that reaches into every corner of your app. And, uh, I'm paraphrasing him here a little bit, right? But that's also totally true. We talked about how the sort of design of core data and the API encourages you to pass around not just model objects, but sort of this context in which you have to work with the model objects. And it encourages you to have like the the specific like core data's concurrency requirements encoded into just the structure of your application everywhere that you're touching any model object. And that is something that is much harder to move away from than like 
a solution that uh, just provides you with like boring old classes to work with, right? Yeah, totally. One of my clients last year had a stack on built on core data. And I mean, it just touches everything that we, we, we talked about. They were having problems with a couple of different parts of the uh, parts of core data and they wanted to move away from it. Being able to pass stuff around and having sort of this thread safety, they were having trouble with the, the mutability elements of it. They were having a couple of different things. And uh, we talked about, okay, how can we get rid of core data? And the conclusion we came to is just it's not possible. The best thing we can do is build kind of a protective bubble around core data that has like the exact interface that we want. And then maybe some point later, years from now, we could like totally swap out the innards uh, of how, like what core data does and uh, like, like replace it with something else. Right. I mean, and even that task, building a protective bubble around core data is like so hard and so impossible because Core data, like, it, it just leaks its uh, ideas and abstractions all throughout the app and, like, does, touches everything. How did you go about even building that protective bubble? We didn't, basically. <laughs> we just decided it would be too tough. The approach that we wanted to take was basically sort of having data source, data store objects that you can basically request some predicate or something from it and then just get objects back. Um, but that doesn't solve the problem of like, right, there's a network uh, as well. And so the network has to write directly into core data, send out an NS notification, and then like other objects can, can update themselves. Other view controllers can update themselves. That's a tough thing to fix. It's just, it was a lot of stuff. And it was like, is this really going to be possible or feasible in the several months that we have to work together? And the answer was just like, there's just nothing yeah. we can do about this. Have you ever moved anything, like actually moved anything off of core data? No. Okay. No. Neither have I. The closest I've come, I think, is that the uh, one of the first iOS apps that I worked on at a startup that I used to work at had been using Core Data for like almost as a cache, which we briefly touched on in the last episode is like not a good use case for Core Data, but it was using that to provide like some offline behavior and like as a cache for like online behavior, and rather than moving away from it, we ended up like just having the parts of the app that were powered by that were still powered by that. And as we built new functionality, we used like a various, like one or the other different model. Like, so it was just core data plus uh, new stuff for the newer parts of the app. Yeah, that's definitely one way to do it. It just like, if you don't follow through all the way, you're going to end up with two styles of code in the same code base. And then you're just like, right. And yet up a three, and then it's just horrible. Yeah. No, nobody wins here. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not good. Kids, stay in school. Don't use core data. Stay in school. I wrote a post called Cash Me Cash Me If You Can. Okay. Which is maybe funnier now with this like cash me outside meme. <laughs> but uh it's basically about how you shouldn't use core data as a uh cache. Especially if all you're doing is saying, like, I have these objects from the server, I'm never gonna have the whole network graph, or not network graph, but like object graph. You shouldn't use core data to store that just so you can use it offline. You should definitely just use something way simpler and just like treat it as a cache. And so this post is kind of about that. So I'll link that in the show notes. We don't need to go too much into it. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to mention yeah, it. Yeah, but it's definitely a good thing to keep in mind. And we'll, as you said, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Maybe also a link to the cache me outside thing in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that might be good. <laughs> okay. And uh, Mike's final point here uh, he says, fourth, it's unbelievably slow. And this is one um, that I don't know if I've really worked with, like putting enough stuff in core data to make it to to hit it being slow. 
I think that the, I, I've stored maybe a thousand records in core data, like ever. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, well, I don't think I've ever written an app that used core data heavily enough to store more than maybe a couple thousand items in it. Interesting. Yeah. I actually didn't know. He says, he says it's unbelievably slow, literally unbelievable. As in, I tell people about it and they don't believe me. <laughs> I didn't know it was this slow. So this is actually news to me. Yeah. And I, like I said, this is something I can't really talk to talk about with any authority. So I'm happy to, I don't know, I'm happy to give Cordata the benefit of the doubt. I will note that people spend a lot of time trying to figure out like what the optimal Cordata stack is for certain use cases <laughs> right? and set yeah. up the, they're like uh, the different, um, like different contexts to have like very like various relationships to each other. So you're importing data in the right way and it makes its way in, in some performant manner into your application and doesn't impact the UI. Like it, using it in a way that it is fast is really hard. Like it's easy to use it and make it slow, even for small numbers of records. Interesting. Which just points to our initial like point of discussion, which is that it's hard to do even fairly simple things with it in yeah. a correct and fast way. Yeah. And you can't even do the thing where like, like for the, um, since we talked last week, we talked about how we're doing property lists and we were reading things off of the disc and it was being a little bit slow. Like we just changed it to where we read it in the background and then just pass the objects, which are just structs to the foreground and it just kind of works. You can't do that with core data. You have to do it's a whole other thing to like make it happen. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, not great. One other thing that I don't like about core data, which Mike doesn't mention here, it requires everything to uh, to inherit from the NS managed object superclass. Yes, I don't really want to have to have this God class that um, that contributes to lock in, right? That contributes to uh, your persistence layer sort of leaking out all across the app. It's a very leaky abstraction. And that means that you can't use, like, you can't store Swift value types, like uh, Swift structure in core data. Right, right. There's just nothing you can do if you want to do that. Yeah. I think, like, if you are going to use core data, you have to basically say, core data is going to be the way that I store my objects, but not the way that I work with my objects in memory. But if you're going to do that, what's the, what benefit do you get used from using core data? Pretty much none. Like I'm, I'm down to grant that. I'm just, I, I just want to, I, I kind of want to just bring up this point of like, because it's going to lock you into this thing, you have to isolate it. And I, I kind of yeah. think this is true of Realm or, or Yap database or uh, NS coding or SQLite or whatever as well. You just have to isolate that part of your app so that it can be. Oh yeah, out. absolutely. And so, I mean, I, I've all along wanted to use CodeGen for this, and now that we finally have the tools, we can. But basically, say, you know, I want to pull these objects out of disk, or off the disk, and they come out as NS managed objects. Fine, like that. That class is going to be CodeGen for me, either with Mode Generator or or Sorcery or whatever. And then I'm also going to have like a struct version or a simple class version. Like if you need reference types, then you would use reference types, but they don't have to subclass from anything because that wouldn't be required. And it would just kind of copy the data from one to the other. Now with core data, when you copy that stuff, you lose all the aspects of faulting and whatever. Um, but mm -hmm. fine, like, you know, it's already slow. <laughs> uh, and then you get these objects that are yours that, you know, they're just bags of data. You can move them around as you want. You can um, pass them across threads. Like you can decide how to use them. Um, yeah. And so that's the only way I think like core data can be basically tenable. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree. The thing there is just that, again, owing to the design of core data versus something like Yap database, it's much harder to isolate core data than it is to isolate Yap database. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
So I'm going to throw in a talk uh, into the show notes. It's called Architecture of the Lost Years. Um, and it's by uh, Bob Martin, who we've actually talked about before on this very podcast. And it was back in our, what episode was that? It was, we talked about the types versus tests um, kerfuffle from a couple of months ago. I don't remember exactly when we talked about yeah. that. We might be able to dig it up and put it in show notes. But uh, so this talk is, I actually think this talk is really good. But he basically talks about if you have a Rails app, your model shouldn't be the same thing as your active record base class subclasses, which active record base is the equivalent of NS managed object. It's the thing that you subclass from to get all the benefits of of working with with the active record database system. And he says like like that is an implementation detail. Like push that out to the side. Your code should be central and your objects and your logic should be central. And once you have that as central, then you can just replace Rails with Sinatra. You can replace um, Active Record with Object Mapper, which is another Ruby library that does a similar thing. You can replace each of these components with something else and your code basically gets to stay the same. And so that is like the only way I think you can use core data and Realm for that matter. Like if you're using Realm, I would definitely still isolate what Realm does. And you lose the performance benefits um, that we talked about last week that Realm gives you if you use their base classes. But like, you know. It's a trade-off to consider. Yeah. 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 It's it's more important to me to be able to own the code that I work with on a database and to understand it from top to bottom than it is to be able to eke out that last bit of performance. Right. You know, you may build your app and find some situation where you do want to eke out that last bit of performance. And then you can look at like optimizing how you work with your persistence layer. But in the common case, it's probably not worth going there right off the bat. Right. Treat it as opt in rather than opt out. Yeah. So another post that we want to call out here is a post from a friend of the show, Caleb Davenport. And uh, this is a post that he wrote. Where's the date stamp on this? 2015, February 2015, so a little over two years Man, ago. Man, that really this long ago? This is one thing to call yeah, out. I, I have not actually worked with Core Data in three years at this point. <laughs> I worked in the last year. It's just as bad as you okay. remember. Well, I mean, there have been some. Like, they did add some way to, uh, like, uh, mass delete, like, a large number of objects, right? Or, like, make a change yeah. to a large number of objects more efficiently. So there, like, have been some improvements in Core Data, but I think the problems that we're talking about are sort of inherent to Core Data's design. Like, we're not talking about the yeah. lack of a way to mark everything red, which was a problem until a year or two ago. Right. The problems are a little more foundational. Anyway, so Caleb wrote a post uh, entitled Ditching Core Data, and uh, he landed on um, a list of features that he wanted in a persistence framework. He wants his objects to be plain objects. That uh, We just talked about that, right? Um, core data objects are not plain objects. Realm objects are not plain objects. Um, yep. He doesn't want to have to worry very much about concurrency. I, I think what he means here is that like, he wants to be able to like read a model object without worrying about concurrency. Like, You will worry about concurrency when you're writing an app, but the core data level of worrying about concurrency is just absurd. He doesn't want to write migration code. This is something where I don't know, like you definitely do end up having to write migrations for core data with something like Yap database. I think you kind of end up baking migrations into your decoders, right? Right. In that translation layer. Right. Yeah. uh, Do we, do we want to talk about core data migrations here? 
So I actually would like to bring that up. Core data is, it's not fully smart, but it's a little bit smart when it comes to migrations. Yeah. So ta- if you add a property to an object, mm-hmm. so that would be a, like a column in a, ta- in a database table, it will actually figure that out and do that migration for you and you don't have to worry about it. The problem arises when weird stuff needs to happen, like if a column needs to change types or if a column needs to maybe be deleted. I don't know if it can do deletions automatically. Um, and anything you want to do custom, like, hey, copy this data over to here using this like bit of code, you have to define that yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, it is a little bit smart about migration code. That is true. You do get a little bit of behavior for yeah. free there. But um, that is definitely another thing to be aware of with core data. It also, it always seemed really weird that you have to keep around every previous version of your core data model in your app. Yeah, I forgot about that. Although, I mean, that history is going to live on. Let's say you, you if you end up with like 30 different versions of a model that you're storing in the app database, your decoder is going to reflect some of that history anyway, just yeah. because. Well, unless you like iterate through them all, decode them and then write them back. But then I guess you still don't know when that will run. So well, you still have to, yeah, you don't know like how many, not everyone installs every app update, right? Right, right. And the benefit here is that, so so Caleb writes, with few exceptions, it is served entirely as a network cache. So like, if it's a cache, it doesn't need to be durable because you can always get that data again. So if you do end up changing the schema, just blow it all away and just start over. Yeah. Just download the data again. It's just not a big deal. That's a good rule of thumb in general, not just with core data. And yeah, that's how we do our, uh, when we have NS coding, if we want to change the schema, what we do is we just... We have like the file on disk is like, it's for, lo- they're a bunch of location objects. So we have like locations and then we have like dot v4. And so if we change the, and then that has like dot cache at the end of it, it's like its file name. If we end up changing the schema, we just change it to v5. And that other, you know, v4 just gets cleaned up when it gets cleaned up. Like we don't worry about it. Yeah. So yeah. So the, the benefit of a cache is, is, you know, databases, they have that the acid guarantees or whatever. It's like atomicity. Um, consistency, isolation, and durability. Caches do not need durability. They don't need to stay around. Yeah. User data needs to stay around, but if it's just a cache of something that happens on the server, like throw it away and just start over. Yeah. So I don't know that I have too much more to say on this subject. Do we want to consider, do we want to talk about, like, are there any situations where core data actually is the right choice? Mike Ash says, no, there aren't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on this last week. My my answer is like, there's no situation I can imagine where core data is the right answer and Realm isn't. Okay. Like maybe the fact that it's first party, if that matters to you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm really struggling to come up with with an idea here of when of when I would choose to use core data. Yeah, I mean, I I generally wouldn't opt to use Realm either. Because while it does fix some of the core issues of core data, it doesn't fix all of them. And I would rather just write my persistence layer myself. But if I did want those things, I can't imagine why I would use core data over Realm in any circumstance. Maybe if a a listener has an idea on a time that core data is just better than something like Realm, tweet at us, email us, and uh, we would love to hear about it. Maybe if you're worried about the longevity of realm versus like Apple clearly will continue supporting core data for a long time. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) 
I don't know that I really have that much else to say. This is like, I guess a slightly shorter episode this week, but um, yeah, the big one for me is just don't use it as cash, man. The big one for me is like, Oh my God, why is it so complicated? <laughs> you have to know everything to work on it. There are, there are books that have extensions of like how to get an object from core data's cache without letting it hit the disk. And so like in certain cases, when you know the thing has been fetched, you use this thing and it's crazy how much there is to know about core data. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Uh, always nice to talk to you. Thank you very much to all of our listeners and uh, we'll talk to you next week.